Welcome to IBBA Insights, providing expert advice on buying or selling small businesses. IBBA Insights is presented by the International Business Brokers Association, the world's largest nonprofit organization for those helping others sell or buy businesses. Now, here's your host, Chris Diglio. Welcome back to IBBA Insights. And today is part two of our interview with Chris Voss, the founder and CEO of the Black Swan Group and uh, author of the best-selling book, Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as If Your Life Depended on It. The, the first uh, portion of our interview, we, we got into a lot of great topics, but there's so, still much, uh, so much more to cover that we're going to jump into. But we were talking when we last left off, Chris, about um, empathy and forced empathy, tactical empathy. And then we were kind of getting into the importance of, of words and what they mean. And in your book and in your teachings and in the things I've listened, you know, we talk about choice of words and how they can make such a difference. And, and one of them being, you know, when you tell someone they're emotional, it comes across as insulting, but you could turn around and tell them right. they're passionate and that becomes more positive. So can you talk about the power of the words in negotiating? Yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy. And, and, and that's a great example. Um, so really what people say when, when we're telling somebody that they're emotional, it's not that they're emotional, it's, it's going to be a negative emotion that people are talking about. And it's on the one hand, it's insulting. On the other hand, if you're talking about negative emotions, it's true because negative emotions cloud our thinking. Negative emotions actually make us dumber. Now, positive emotions, on the other hand, which is passion, oh, that's a positive thing. You know, Sean Acker's got a great TED talk called The Happiness Advantage. Sean's a Harvard psychologist. And, you know, that's a source of my data on this because my data is Sean says you're 31% smarter in a positive frame of mind. Oh, that's a game changer. So wow. it's not emotions that are bad, it's negative emotions. And in application of this wording, you know, that's where people are coming from. You know, no, nobody, if somebody wants to compliment you on the positive emotions that you're displaying, they're like, wow, you're passionate. If they uh, are trying to rein you in, they could say it's very well-intentioned, but it's also an insult. They're going to say, hey, you're being emotional. You know, the, the, uh, <laughs> and there's some other examples of this. You know, um, I, I, I was seeing a doctor recently, and I've had knee surgery a bunch of times. I'm constantly working on the improvement of my knee. And I was telling him about a physical activity that I was engaged in that I wasn't going to give up because it's important to my health. And he said, yeah, well, you're stubborn. And I remember thinking to myself, like, what's the difference between stubborn and persistent? Like, if you admired what I was doing, you were going to be saying, like, I really persistent. But he, you know, he, he, he said, yeah, you know, you're doing this because you're stubborn. And I'm thinking, like, I don't, I'm not getting a good feeling out of that. I'm not sure what the difference is. You know, it's the application of the word. One was an insult. You know, you're being stubborn. You're not thinking. Uh, you're being persistent. You're not giving up. Like, <laughs> I don't know what the difference between those is. No, the way it makes you feel, that's the difference, I think. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. And inadvertently, what's behind the word that the person is choosing? But let's let's talk about some negotiating tactics that you discuss in, in your book and in your masterclass. One of them, you talk about mirroring and you say, letting the other side have your way. 
I love that. Can you, can you talk about that and how, how to do that? Yeah. And, and it, it's been said, you know, I didn't coin the phrase, but I, I don't know who did, you know, there's a course, there's a saying that the only person that actually had an original thought was Adam and the rest of us learned from <laughs> each other. Yeah. But uh, yeah, never, and never be so sure of what you want. They or um, negotiation is the art of letting the other side have your way. So how, how do uh, cool. How do I get that done? Mirroring is one of those things, you know, mirroring is just repeating the last one to three ish words of what somebody's just said. It sounds really simple and it is. And there are some people that are going like, wow, anything that simple, it can't work. It's too simple. It has to be complicated. Well, no. And you know, the interesting thing is, as it turns out, mirroring, which is the most simplistic in concepts, I'm finding on a regular basis people that are both high IQ and high EQ simultaneously, which I'm not either, love mirroring because it is so simple. They love something simple and elegant and dangerously effective. So what happens when you repeat the last one to three-ish words of what somebody just said? They go on. They talk some more. But the important thing about them going on is that they use different words and they expand. And that begins the process of them talking themselves into your deal, if that's possible, the art of letting the other side have your way. Because an idea always holds more weight when it comes out of your mouth as opposed to if somebody told it to you. I'm, one, of, one of the books that I'm reading called Dopamine, the Molecule of More, talks about a dynamic where if you give someone a lecture on honesty and they ran a psychological experiment, give, you give them a lecture on honesty and then put them through a simulation where it's, they're really tempted to cheat and they get a cheat rate at whatever X percentage is. But if you take those same sample of human beings and have them give you a lecture on honesty, which again, the words are coming out of their mouth instead of out of yours. They're uttering them instead of hearing them. Put them through the same simulation, the cheating rates drop dramatically. So you mirror people to get stuff out of their mouth that you agree with, which might have been your idea to begin with but it means more when it comes out of their mouth. And mirroring is a great way to do that with minimal effort on your part. Chris, when, when going into negotiations, a lot of people take the attitude or the outlook that I got to go in and I have to win. And, 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 and a lot right. of people just really love, love to talk. So talk about winning and then also talk about the importance of listening versus talking too much in negotiations, where you can benefit from both sides. Yeah, so let's let's rethink negotiation. Start with on your first question about winning. Let's take negotiation from a zero sum game to a positive sum game. Ooh, you better be up for being in a positive sum game. Zero sum game was when every dollar that you get is at the expense of the other side. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is 
Donnie, Dan, Daniel Kahneman taught us with prospect theory, which is Nobel Prize winning behavioral economics. What difference does that make? That means it's a universal concept. It's so universe, universal and so true that they gave him the Nobel Prize for it. And one of the things is a loss thinks twice as much as an equivalent game. What does that have to do with zero-sum game negotiations? Every dollar you get out of the other side, they feel like you took two. And so human nature being what it is, they're not going to be happy till they take two from you. What happens when they take two from you? You're not going to be happy till you take four from them. That's the downward spiral of zero-sum game bargaining. Now, positive-sum game is my extra dollar doesn't have to come from the other side. My extra dollar is probably going to come from the two of us collaborating. So at a bare minimum, you don't feel like it came from you. That's the bare minimum. The even better part is, well, I got a dollar. You may have gotten some upside also. So not only did you not experience a loss, you got a gain out of the collaboration. So that's changing from the zero-sum game bargaining, which is win-lose, to the positive-sum game, which is what collaboration is, where I can do even better than I would have in a zero-sum game, and I did it without triggering resentment, vindictive resentment in you. Yeah, that's that that makes so much sense. And when when we talk about talking and listening, I, I want to share a funny story with you, and then I, I'd love to hear your response. But sometimes people get these old school negotiating tactics, and sometimes you see people talk way too much, and some people don't talk enough. But there's an old uh, school of thought that says he who talks first loses, right? So I'm sitting down in my right. very early stages of my career. Uh, between a buyer and a seller, and, and they both had representation on both sides, and I was in the learning process. And it came down to a point where there had to be a decision made in the negotiation. And it literally felt like I sat there for an eternity watching two grown men across the table just staring at each other, waiting for the other person to talk. And and maybe it was only a minute, but it felt like forever. Nobody would speak. What, what's your feelings about when something like that happens? Yeah, well, yeah, um, that's what a hostage negotiator does. How do, I, how do I trigger the other side into speaking without them feeling like they're forced into it? How do I stay out of these stare-down contests? Yeah, because what you're describing with grown men sounds like a couple of 13-year-olds on a playground, right? Yeah. So, first of all, I'm, I'm, my approach to that moment, to start with, will have been to be collaborative, and to be constantly triggering the other side into talking. How do I get the other side to, to talk? I use a tool that we refer to as a label. And I could say, seems like you've probably given us a lot of thought. Like you got thoughts. You're just waiting for the proper moment for me to trigger them to come out, come out of you. Seems like you have a vision of how we might move forward. Seems like you got something in mind. You know, those are all different versions of the same thing. Now, we're seeing on a regular basis 
that seems like there's something on your mind gets a much higher response rate than what's on your mind. Now, there's no negotiation skill that's a guarantee what you want to use. If you're using a black swan method, if you're being a black swan, you're using your highest percentage chance of success. I mean, and, and when we train you, we get a lot of people that point, push back on us. They're saying like, well, you know, I get yes, and that's how I get deals. And I say, all right, let's live by Las Vegas rules here. We're not going to live by Ivory Tower because Ivory Tower is everything works. And Las Vegas is what's your highest percentage win rate. So if you're speaking first, if you're naming price first by anchoring high, if you're getting deals by getting people to say yes, you're winning at the 10% win table. You're winning 10% of the time. And when you tell me, you fire back at me and you say to me, I make deals this way. I'm like, yeah, cool. But you're losing nine out of 10. You're one in 10, you're making deals. I want to take you off the 10% table and I want to put you on the 80% table. Now, if you understand gambling in Las Vegas, you only got to get to the 51% table, which is where the owners of the casinos are, and they built these monstrous, opulent hotels based on a 51% win rate. I can get you higher than that if you just switch these skills out and are willing to take yourself off the 10% table. Chris, how, how do you avoid leaving too much on the table? Um, you learn to push in a really nice way because a lot of, a, a lot of tactical empathy, you know, a lot of this black swan method is really, how can I be assertive without being aggressive? How can I find out where the other side's limits really are without stinging them and hurting them and making them? unhappy in a process and that's really the design of all this like how am i supposed to do that as a way to say no a way to force empathy we're going to coach you to say that until the other side says because if you want the deal you'll do it and again somebody's using how am i supposed to do that all the time they say, ah, I had this I had this failure where the other person looked at me and said, if you want the deal, you'll do it. I said, no, you didn't fail. You got everything on the table because that's the answer of finding out everything that was on the table without making the other side mad because nobody ever says, because if you want the deal, you'll do it, and then storms away and slams the door or hangs down the phone. That's not the last move somebody makes before they blow up and move on. That's the thing that people say when they're at their limit and they stay at the table instead of walking away. So your question was, how, how do I make sure I got everything on the table? It's this mastery of this black swan tool of letting out no a little at a time by starting out by saying, how am I supposed to do that? And then understanding what the feedback that you're getting is telling you. Yeah, I'm for sure. You don't want to piss everyone at the table off. And with every negotiation, there there can be conflict. And you talk about three. Uh, there's three approaches to conflict. There's flight, fight, or fight, flight, or make friends. 
Um, right. what, what category would you fall into? Yeah, and you know, and I'll comment. We have reason to show that the world splits up evenly into thirds. There's a specific psychological instrument that you can test people for to put them in one of these three categories, and we've tested easily over 10,000 people. You know, and every now and then you get a group that's leans more towards one of the type, the fight type, the assertive. That's my natural born type, is the assertive. So we'll get groups that skew one way or the other, but in the aggregate globally, it's three types. And I mean globally. Like we've taught Chinese business executives, we've taught, you know, Latinos, we've taught we've taught globally. We've taught people from India. It's a nice thing about uh, American business schools these days, they are international in composition. And plenty of people from India come here, go to business school, go back to India. Some Plenty of people from China come here, go back to business school, go back to China. It's it's an international audience. So the world breaks evenly into thirds, fight, flight, make friends. And my natural born type is the fight type, the assertive. And you, everybody, you, everybody else needs to understand what attributes of each type enhance deal making and start with what you have and then add the complementary skills from the other two types. I would imagine it also helps to understand who you're sitting across from, uh, understanding their temperament or, or understanding what they're trying to accomplish in the negotiations. Nearly every single impasse is traceable to a type mismatch and consequently a misunderstanding of the same words or misunderstanding of the same dynamic. And so your point is, does it help you to understand the type on the other side of the table? Absolutely, especially if if this black swan idea that the world breaks up evenly into thirds, a third of the people that are listening to this conversation will instantaneously realize that two out of three times your counterpart is not your type. We were talking about the Vegas odds before. The odds of you sitting across the table from your type are only one in three. So the odds of there being a type mismatch and a misunderstanding as a result of the type is two-thirds of the time. So you got to bet before you sit down at the table if you're just placing your bets, ladies and gentlemen. you gotta, you got to expect a type mismatch and look for the differences. Yeah, there's a skill set that you talk about, and that's the art of exploring in negotiations without accepting or committing to an outcome during those negotiations. Can you explain that? Yeah, yeah. And and that's a great thing about empathy because empathy is the art of exploring and empathy is not agreement. It's not agreement. It's not disagreement. It's not liking. None of those things. Bob Mnookin wrote a great book called Beyond Winning. Mnookin was the head of the program on negotiation at Harvard. When I first started collaborating with people outside of law enforcement on negotiation. In his book, Beyond Winning, Chapter 2 is the tension between empathy and assertiveness, which is designed 
the title chapter is designed to catch you off guard. And Manukin says in his book, empathy is not agreement. Empathy is not even liking the other side. It's just completely understanding and demonstrating that understanding. And that's why I started collaborating with him because I'm an FBI guy and I say that's what empathy is. And here's the Harvard guy and he says that's what empathy is. That's good enough for me. So empathy is a process of exploring into this and gather, gathering the data. One thing that we talked about in negotiation, or you talked about in the end of negotiations, you said if you haven't found three things that will surprise you, right. then you failed. Why is that? Right. Yeah, well, it gets back to the idea that we were talking about before, that the other side is always holding back information. And so the things that you, uh, that you need to find are what's, you know, what are the points that the other side is holding back? What are the chances that it's only one thing? Uh, unlikely. But there's at least one thing there. And then if you take that one thing that's being held back and combine it with what you're holding back, that's got to trigger at least two more possibilities that are brand new ideas. So when you start thinking about how many things the other side's holding back and then subsequently what will be triggered as a result, there's got to be at least three new things that have been discovered in the negotiation and you're not doing your job. You're not, you're not gathering information and then you're not factoring that new information into the situation as you already know it. So yeah, there's got to be stuff there and it's got to be at least three things. That could also be reflective of a lazy approach. You talk about um, yeah. you know, you know, splitting the difference and how you say compromise is a horrible word. You talk about that being a lazy approach or meeting in the middle. You, you absolutely do not like that approach. No, it's, it, it is lazy. It's people, uh, you know, I'm tired. We're halfway there. You know, I just don't want to do this anymore. And you, you know, you settle and you know, it's a diluted outcome. And, or, you know, I don't know whether or not to wear brown shoes or black shoes. I'm just too tired to figure it out. So I'm going to wear one of each. It's just not going to work. <laughs> you know, do I wear stripes no, Especially, Chris, since you talk, you, Chris, you, you, you talk, you take so much to get to that point, And now at the end to just, oh, uh, let's just split the difference. It, you work so hard. You, you could have done that in the beginning. Just compromise if you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it, it's it astounds me that compromise in negotiations. You should have the spirit of compromise, or compromise is a word in politics. You know, you should have the spirit of compromise. All right, so compromise your integrity, and you know, and the word in one context is to be to strive for and in another context the same word with the same meaning is insulting well uh, i would offer to you then compromise probably bad all the time i i don't disagree at all i mean i i, I don't i i cringe every time that happens um without showing facial expression if it happens on from the other side i'm like really that's where you're going but um 
Chris, we're coming down towards the end of the show. I've got a couple of more questions that I want to touch on. One is some of some real world situations. So a lot of the people listening to the show are business brokers and they're going out there and they're negotiating with business owners to list their business, to market it for sale and, and to basically to sell it for them. And a lot of times they go out there with the best of intentions to understand the market, know the price, but they want to get the listing. But now all of a sudden, you know, during the negotiations, they run up against that other broker who basically is selling greed. You know, I can get you, oh, the, it, I, the other broker sold you it was worth 500000 I can get you seven fifty. I'm the, the best broker out there. I sell more businesses than anyone else. I'm, uh, I'm great. And that's why you should go with me. And, and what's alarming in our industry is uh, somewhere around 15 to 25%, somewhere in there of all businesses listed with, with brokers sell. That means someone's failing, you know, a lot, you know, 75 to 85% of the time it's a fail rate. And that's because some of the tactics used in getting the listing. So if you're trying to be a professional out there and you're trying to really talk to the client, but in negotiating to get that listing, how do you overcome that greed factor on their part? Well, um, you know, the, the greed factor is overcome by the integrity factor and but not just more being integrity, but demonstrating integrity. And you know, this idea of being a broker in, in any business like that is, you know, it, it's really different when you start showing integrity and demonstrating outcomes. And what you do in order to increase trust is take the word trust out and put the word predictable instead. And without giving away your secret sauce, you can explain to people up front, here's what you're up against. Because this, this failure rate is failure on a part of the broker to deliver on promises. And if you promise to get somebody three quarters of a million when they're only going to get a million, then that's going to be a failure. And the seller is going to be like, I ain't doing this deal. And they're going to walk. Right. Instead, when you when you start out, you say, "All right, so here's here's the challenges you're up against. This is what's going on in the market now. Now, I could give you a high aspirational price to lure you in, and that would set us both up for failure. I can tell you about what the market will bear, and We'll get every dime the market will give us without compromising. And I'll be honest with you every step of the way as to what the challenges are and how we get there. That will increase your success rate. It's not a guaranteed outcome because there are no guarantees. What you want to do is navigate the territory with your clients in advance so that when you bring them a price, they're not caught off guard and they don't fire you and you fail. They don't refuse to do the deal. Letting them know in advance what they're up against is the key to putting predictability in and establishing trust and actually consummating the deals that you've worked so hard to bring together. And as you mentioned earlier, that increases your odds. And one of the things you say often and that I, I, I love, I live by, and I, I hope everybody else would too. And in negotiations, and just in life, but in negotiations, that um, being honest 
because the myth of negotiation is everyone's lying. But you say, no, you need to be honest. Even in the hostage negotiation, you talk about, no, you need to be honest with these people. Yeah, honest but not blunt. Be honest in an emotionally yes. intelligent fashion. The, and that was, you know, it's it's a it's a way really for me to call back to to Bob Manukin's book, the tension the tension between or his chapter with the tension between empathy and assertiveness. There is no tension; it's a sequence. You have to use empathy so you can be assertive, and that's what. Bob really outlines in that chapter, which is why the chapter still to this day, the best single chapter on empathy that I've ever read. And I wrote some stuff on empathy. And what Bob wrote is still better <laughs> than that precise concept of empathy. The people we train, we have them read that. There is no tension between empathy and assertiveness. Empathy is a precursor to assertiveness. It's a precursor to being honest. If you got to tell something to somebody, something to uh, your client that they're not going to like, you say you're not going to like this, and you hesitate and you wait for them to give you permission to go on. This whole emotional intelligence approach—it's shocking how resilient people are emotionally if you let them brace themselves and then give them the bad news. You know you. you Anywhere, a moment is one to three seconds. Warn them, give them a mo moment, hit them with the bad news. Nobody likes to be blindsided. If they're not being blindsided, if they have just enough time to brace themselves, it's, it's actually inspiring what human beings can endure, given the opportunity to prepare themselves. Chris, I have... I'm going to let you go. You've been very generous with your time. But um, in business brokerage, we go through a process. Once something's under contract, we go from contract to closing, a due diligence process. And that's when typically emotions run really high. So as a broker, you know, being a black swan, right, being that person in the negotiations when things get tense and things get tough, when most deals fall apart, how do you navigate through that process to increase your odds so those deals don't fall apart? Yeah, it's a great question. So, so the first mistake a broker will make is say, all right, you got the deal. When you have an agreement, you're getting ready to go into due diligence. Now, as a broker, you know that's not true. You know that due mm -hmm. diligence is a hidden minefield, and God knows what's going to happen. Yep. So just change the characterization. You say, all right, we're getting ready to enter into the hard part of the negotiation, the due diligence phase. Getting a signed agreement is not getting the deal. Getting a signed agreement is getting into the red zone, which is where things are much harder. Just how you characterize that we're getting ready to go into some stormy seas here, let your clients brace themselves for bad news. It keeps them from getting blindsided. So characterize the situation for what it is so that even if the deal falls apart, they can never say, I wasn't warned. And feeling forewarned and forearmed is a way to maximize your close rate to take your actually closing the deal to a much higher level and change your percentages. 
and also what's the the other hidden benefit is referrals. What's your referral pipeline if 85% of your deals don't close? What's your referral pipeline if 85% of your deals do close? Or every uptick in your close rate is an uptick in your referral rate. Now you're building a healthier business. Absolutely. Now, Chris, I want to leave the audience with a, a gold nugget that I heard you talk about. And, and we'll leave it at this. It's with emails. How to get people to respond to that unres- that have been unresponsive for months. And I loved, I loved hearing about this. Yeah, I, I'll, get, I'll give it to you and I'll give it to you with a caveat. Because if they've been unresponsive for months, you know, there's a saying, your system is perfectly designed to give you the outcome that you have achieved. So how did you get to the point where they're not responding to you? They're not responding to you for one main reason, and that one main reason has two contributing factors. The one main reason is responding to you is doing them no good. And the two factors to that are either you're not listening, and why would I respond to somebody who's not listening to me? If they're just pitching, if they're just explaining. Reagan said if you're explaining, you're losing. If you're explaining, you're not listening. So if they stopped responding to you, the biggest problem is you're probably not listening. And you, if you taught them that you're not going to listen, why should they respond to you? The other sure. contributing factor is their ability to get the deal done on their side is broken down. And they're too embarrassed to tell you. Or they have a problem that they can't fix. And they're too embarrassed to tell you. Especially since Refer to part one, you weren't listening. So that's why they go dark. Now, you will trigger a response with a one-line email or the one-line text message, have you given up on doing this deal? If they're going to respond, and our response rate is in excess of 90% of the time, which is a really high thing, especially when somebody's ghosting you, you have to understand how you got there in the first place because when you hit the reset switch, you get to reset that baby one time. That is a one-time reset. You're rebooting the system one and only one time. It's not going to survive two reboots. It's not going to allow them. So if you're not listening if because you were pitching, because you were explaining the deal, because you were explaining how this is the best that you could do. When they respond, you go back to explaining, you know, I, I uh, shoot yourself in the foot, you just shot yourself in the head. So you That's cannot cool. go back to the communication system that got you into that point. You've got to go back and you've got to apply tactical empathy. you got to get that right out of the other side once they respond in order to proceed. Yeah, you, so you get them to respond, then you don't want to then follow it up with making the same mistake all over again. So then they're not going to respond exactly. to you after that. Right, right, right. But Chris, this, that that have you given up on will work, but it'll work once. I have to tell you, Chris, during the two-part interview, you've heard me say, I love that. I love this. I love it. There were so many things I loved in, again, reading the book and then doing my research and even in the conversation we had today. And and I know that your your time is very valuable. And just for the fact of you taking it out to talk to our audience, I greatly appreciate it. Um, I look forward to, to taking some of your classes and also learning more 
about everything that you teach. So um, for those other people that are out there that feel the same way, that would like to take some of your master classes and learn more about what you do, how can they, how can they find out more information? How can they do that? Yeah, the best way to follow up is to su subscribe to our complimentary newsletter. You know, our blog, our newsletter comes out every Tuesday mornings. It's a good price, complimentary, which is not really where the value is. The value is that it's actionable and it's concise. And it comes out every Tuesday morning. It's a relatively short article, about 750 words, which is about a three to five minute read max of something you could do today a tool that you can put into place today. Best way to subscribe, so I'm guessing your audience is U.S.-based? Yes, mostly. Text a sign-up message, which only works in the U.S. Text Black Swan Method, three words, spaces in between each, not cap sensitive. Black Swan Method, text to the number 33777. Black Swan Method, to 33777. If you've typed it in as I've, as I've asked you to, three words, spaces in between to that number, you get a text response back asking for your email address. You'll be signed up to our newsletter, which is the gateway to everything that we have. Now, Chris, we are the International Business Brokers Association, and we do have a lot of members US-based, but we have a lot of Canadian members and a lot of a lot of uh, members of our association from other countries also. Is there a way for them to be able to reach you? Great follow-up question, and thank you, because I, I did sort of over, you know, miss that. Black, uh, BlackSwanLTD.com, B-L-A-C-K-S-W-A-N-L-T-D.com is our website, blackswanltd.com. Go to our website. On the upper right-hand corner is a tab for the blog. You can go and you can find all the past articles that are there. It's searchable. And there's also a form to sign up, uh, to sign up for the newsletter there. And you'll start getting it in, in your inbox. And also, you know, the website, is just a treasure trove of free tools and information as well that you can you can access. And you know, if you got the book and the newsletter, you're gonna get you're gonna get a long way with that alone. Um, we have a lot of other more advanced training for you to keep up with that. I mean, you really gotta you gotta have to have read the book and been up to speed on the newsletter. Um, to be able to take advantage of the, uh, the rest of the black swan method so you're not raise, uh, wasting your money. Well, I will say this to those of you that are listening. If you're in this business or you're in business or just in life, it's a great read and, and you, should, you should definitely get the book. Um, Chris, uh, thank you so much for taking so much time with us and um, sharing so much information with the group. And, and I certainly wish you continued success. Thank you so much for joining us on IBBA Insights today. It's been my pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Well, everyone, I hope you found this not only useful, but I hope you're going to apply it to your everyday life and your business life, your approach to doing things. And if it helped you just do one more deal, get one more listing, then it certainly was worth the time of listening to the last two episodes. 
Uh, thank you for downloading today's podcast and listening to the last two episodes, the two-part series. Uh, if you want to listen to other episodes of IBBA Insights, you go to ibba.org backslash insights. Once you're there, you can subscribe by clicking the Apple, Android, or email icons, and you never have to miss an ever, another episode of IBBA Insights again. It's been my pleasure bringing you another episode of IBBA Insights. Now go out and successfully negotiate yourself through life.